Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Are you ready? Here we go. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. I just want to stop right here. This is how I know Paul was not a good preacher. Someone fell asleep and then someone died. I'm in a group text with like three or four other young pastors from around the country and it's like an encouragement text for when we preach and we feel like we just bombed it, like we did not feel good about it. We'll just send a text and it's like, hey, I need prayer. And we'll all know, like it was a bad sermon that Sunday. And so we we have this group text uh, and the other day, uh, one of my friends, he sent this text. He was like, hey guys, need prayer. Don't feel like I preached really well. And I just sent him Acts chapter 20. And I was like, but did somebody die? This is a crazy story. Verse 10, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. He went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted, were greatly comforted. I wanna talk to you this morning about what it looks like for God to go first. If you're taking notes, if you just wanna write down God, went first. Will you say that with me? Ready? One, two, three. God went first. Amazing. Amazing. Can we give it up for my man on the keys right here? Come on. Praise the Lord. Thanks for making me sound more spiritual this morning. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for these moments. We don't take them for granted. We ask that you would speak to us right now through your word. We love you so much. We thank you for Chick-fil-A and everybody said, come on, everybody said, Amen. So for the past three years uh, before going into church planting, my wife and I, we have been um, traveling full time as evangelists. So preaching uh, churches, youth conferences all around the country. We are in airports a lot. Uh, This past year, I have been on 68 airplanes. Okay, so I'm I'm in airports a lot. I'm on airplanes a lot. And uh, I kind of had it down until we had a baby. (laughs) Until we had a baby. Only the parents laughed. Uh, If you don't have kids, you you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I have an almost one-year-old. He turns one uh, this week. All he wants for his uh, first birthday is a building for Way Church. Come on, somebody. But he turns one uh, this week, and he has been on 18 airplanes in one year. Uh, All the young people are like, wow, that's so cool. All the parents are like, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. It is so dumb. But uh, he's our little evangelist. And so uh, we're learning that people love to see babies in the airport. They love to see the baby in the airport. It's like this. So be like, oh my goodness, is that your baby? I'm always like, no, it's not. You know, like just to see their face, like, yes, it's my, it's my baby. 
But, but, but they'll smile at you. They're like, oh my goodness, he's so cute. How old is he? They wanna like have these conversations with you like you're a complete stranger. But like a baby just makes people happy. But the moment you take the baby onto the actual plane, <laughs> everything changes. The smiles turn to avoiding eye contact, right? Like, like people who were waving at you and wanting to take a picture so that they could send it to their kids and, and encourage them to have kids, they're now like, they don't wanna talk to you at all. They're just like, you are their worst enemy. And so we're learning like, like people don't love kids on, on planes. And, and what I've learned is that there's two reasons people don't like babies on the airplane. Number one, because babies cry. And number two, because babies poop. And nobody wants either of those things on an airplane. So a couple, uh, couple months ago, we were preaching at a church in California, and we decide uh, this is perfect. We'll take our uh, seven-month-old on a flight to California. And we're about to get on the plane, and we get this little notification that we'd been upgraded to first class for free. And we're like, the favor of the Lord is real, okay? Like, this is incredible. And so we're about to get on the plane, and then we realize when we got upgraded, our seats were separated. So I, I tell my wife, I'm like, hey, babe, no worries. We'll get on the plane, and I'll convince someone to swap seats so that we can, we can still sit next to each other. So we get on the plane. My wife is like two rows behind me, and, and this man, he comes, and he sits down right next to me. And I say, excuse me, sir. I say, you see that beautiful blonde just a couple rows back? And he turns, and, and he looks. I said, that's my chick. She's holding our chicken mini. Together, we are a Chick-fil-A meal. We would really love to sit together on this flight. Is there any way that you would swap seats with her? You have a first class seat. She has a first class seat. It's, it's an easy swap. Would you swap seats with her? And this man, I'm, I don't know what he had for breakfast that day. I don't know what his testimony is. But what I do know is that he looked back at my wife. He looked back at me and he said, I think I'm good. I was like, have you heard of Jesus? Obviously not. <laughs> I, was, I was so mad. I, like, I was so angry. This is so petty. Um, I wish this wasn't true. But, but we take off on the flight. And like 45 minutes into the flight, my son, he started crying. And I, th I think I like, could have calmed him down. But I didn't. And then something else happened, like, like, like 30 minutes after that, my son had to use the bathroom. I could have changed it, but I didn't. For four hours, I did not change the diaper one time. I did not try to calm him down one time. This is so petty, y'all need to pray for me. I'm gonna be in the altar. I'm responding to my own altar call in just a few minutes because I wanted this man to know that his decision had consequences. I wanted him to feel it. I wanted him to know that where he sat mattered. Where he sat mattered. Did you know that where you sit matters? It matters. Where you sit matters. I've sat in church services before where I sat next to somebody who was not paying attention, who was on their phone, who was distracting, and it actually bled over to me and how I received from the Lord. In the same way, I've sat next to somebody in a church service who was taking notes, who was leaned in, who was having an encounter with the Lord, and just sitting next to them led me to have a revelation from God. Where you sit matters. 
In Acts chapter 20, Eutychus chose to sit somewhere that led to his death. Notice he didn't die because he jumped out of the window. He didn't die because he was pushed out of the window. He died because he chose to sit in a window seal. How dumb do you have to be to sit in a window seal? What I've learned is that many people, they don't choose to jump out of a window, they just simply choose to sit somewhere that they shouldn't, and it leads to consequences that they don't wanna have. Very few people set out to hurt their family. Very few people set out to hurt themselves. Very few people set out to hurt their friends, to ruin their life. It's not a conscious choice that we make, but oftentimes if you trace back a big failure, if you trace back a big sin, what you see is it all started with somebody sitting somewhere that they thought was not a big deal. My question to you this morning is, are you sitting somewhere that's gonna lead to you sinning somewhere? If you don't wanna eat the Krispy Kreme donuts, all right, if you're on the keto diet, but all day long, you choose to set up shop right across from a Krispy Kreme that's got the hot sauce on. You are sitting somewhere that's gonna lead you to sitting somewhere, right? If you're here and you struggle with comparison, but you spend six hours a day on Facebook and Instagram, you are sitting somewhere that's gonna cause you to sin somewhere. Right? If you know that alcohol is a temptation for you, if you know that, that it's really hard for you to just have one drink, but you hang out with people who don't care how many drinks they have, and the only way they can have fun is to have alcohol in the equation, I'm telling you, you might really love them, but you are sitting somewhere that's gonna cause you to sin somewhere. One of the ones that it's a big part of my testimony. I, I, I've shared this um, with, with lots of people is, is I struggled with pornography for a long time. And I, and I think that that's a struggle that whatever the statistics say about that struggle, I think the statistics are wrong. It's a lot higher. I think a lot more people struggle with that than, than we realize. But if you are like, hey, I'm trying to fight this battle against lust. I'm trying to fight this battle against pornography, but you keep going to bed at night in a room that has screens like your phone right next to you and a computer right down the hall and there's no accountability and there's no locks and there's no covenant eyes and there's no uh, people who know what you're struggling with. I'm telling you, you're sitting somewhere that's gonna lead to you sitting somewhere. People go, what's the big deal? Why does it matter if I sin every once in a while? Why does it matter if it's just a little bit of sitting there and a little bit of sitting here? Why does it matter? I'll tell you why it matters. This is what the Bible says about sin. The Bible says in Romans 2 that sin will be repaid by the wrath of God. 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin are death. In other words, the consequence of choosing sin is death. Sin does not hurt our lives. It kills our lives. You cannot have a casual relationship with sin and expect to have a serious relationship with revival. It's not possible. What it leads to is a life where you feel close to God and then you feel far from God. You have an encounter with God 
and then you go through a dry season. Listen, an encounter with God will, keep, will set you free. An encounter with God will set you free, but your habits will keep you free. You can be set free in an altar. You can have this glorious mountaintop moment with Jesus where you're like, I know I felt from the Lord. I know I got a word from the Lord. I know that he's doing something in my life. But if the way that you spend Monday through Saturday doesn't change, you'll always have a back and forth relationship with the Lord. An encounter sets you free. Your habits keep you free. I came across this story recently uh, of, a, of a South African man who, uh, he got a, a pet hippo. This is a true story. I, I don't know if they sell them at Petco's in South Africa, but, but this man, it's a true story. He, he, he got a baby hippo, and uh, I don't remember in the story what he named the hippo. I'm just going to name the hippo right now. We're going to name him Frankie, okay? So, he brings baby Frankie to his house, and by all accounts, this man lived on, on like a really big piece of land in South Africa, and he actually, this is, this is the crazier part, he like did the work in his backyard to make sure that the baby hippo would have a great environment to like live in. Like he had like this little river and like uh, this little pond and stuff for the hippo to like swim around. I don't know what hippos do in their free time. I'm just totally making this up. But, but the story is true, like, like the backyard, he, he had it all. And so every day he would feed baby Frankie once in the morning, once at night. Baby Frankie was growing, they loved each other. It was going amazing. And then about five years in, this South African man goes outside one morning to feed baby Frankie. And baby Frankie drug him in the river and ate him. You were like, I was not expecting the story to end that way. I, I was like reading this on the internet and I could not believe it. I was like, that's the end of the story. It, the the, the, the write-up on the story literally ended like that. It's like drug him in the river and ate him. That's the end of the story written by John Johnson. And I was like, what? That's how it ends? I'm like trying to go to the next page. But it was such a provocative story, and I've thought about it multiple times, and I think the story of that hippo and that man in South Africa is exactly the story of sin. Sin always comes disguised as a pet when it's really a predator. And what you think is happening is you think, I've got it under control. We're good. I can put it away when I need to. I can stop it when I want to, and then one day, because sin is never content to stay the same size, it's growing and growing and growing, and one day you go out to feed something that all of a sudden feeds on you. We have to talk about it, because I think a lot of people, their idea of sin, it's been watered down, and it's like, hey, sin leads to a stressful life. It's like sin leads to a purposeless life. Sin leads to a life that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fulfill your dreams the way God wants your dreams to come to pass. It's like all of those things, yeah, that's true, but it's missing the point. Sin doesn't lead to a stressful life. Sin doesn't lead to an unfulfilled life. Sin leads to no life. A TikTok influencer can't help me with that. A politician has no power over that. My willpower can't do a single thing about it. As a sinner, I find myself dead. That's the bad news. But as somebody who's read the Bible, as somebody who knows the person of Jesus Christ, can I tell you the good news? What you need is somebody 
who has experience with bringing dead things to life. You cannot have revival without first having death. But the moment that you die, let me tell you about a man named Jesus, a man who walked out of a grave holding death like a trophy, a man who said, I'll hang on a cross for their sins, the ones that they remember and the ones that they don't. Let me go first for them. Let me sacrifice my life. Let me come down so they can go up. When sin brings dead people, Jesus brings them to life. This is the good news of the gospel. But if we minimize sin, we also minimize grace. If we minimize the power of sin, we actually minimize the power of grace. Sin is never content to stay the same size. And if we look at it as a small problem, we'll look at the grace of Jesus as a small blessing. It's not a small blessing. I love talking about the grace of God because it's, it's the message that changed my life. I, I couldn't believe. When, when someone told me that, that Jesus would, would go to a cross while I was still a sinner, before I started acting right according to the Bible, be, before I, I knew all the lyrics to the new Elevation Worship song, be, be, before I, I knew like how to talk, before I, before I knew what was good and what was bad, before I knew what was holy and what was sinful, before all those things that, that Jesus would die for me, I was like, that makes no sense. That's, ho that's horrible math. And then I realized that Jesus was good at a lot of things, but he was really bad at math. How could one man leave 99 sheep for one? That's bad math. How could one man say that the poor woman who gave a couple pennies in an altar, that that, that that offering was better than the rich man who gave his whole purse? That's bad math. How could Jesus turn and look at the thief on the cross and promise that he would go to heaven after he lived his whole life running from the Lord? He would treat that thief the same as he would treat his disciples who would eventually lay down their life for the church. They get the same reward that's bad math, it's bad math, but it's good grace. And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know if God really believe, I don't know if God really feels that way towards me. Can I just tell you what the Bible says? Don't take a skinny white boy from Nashville's word for it. Ephesians 3.8 says that the grace of God is unsearchable. In other words, you could look for its depths your entire life and you would never scratch the surface. The grace of God means you're no longer condemned, Romans 8.1. The grace of God means you're no longer orphaned, Romans 8.15. The grace of God means you're no longer dirty, Titus 3.5. The grace of God means you're no longer enslaved, Ephesians 1.7. The grace of God means you're no longer in debt, 2 Peter 2.1. You're no longer blind, John 12.35. You're no longer dead, Ephesians 2. Jesus might be bad at math, but he is good at saving. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is you are not a better sinner than Jesus is a lover. You are not better at running than Jesus is at chasing. We're in homecoming revival. If you want revival to happen in your life, first you have to realize that your sin killed you. But there's somebody who wants to revive you. So... I titled this message, God Went First, because uh, I have this thesis, and uh, the thesis is this. You can tell me if you 
believe this is true or not, even if you don't, I think it is. And here's the thesis. It's that in a relationship, whoever goes first, uh, they're the risk taker. They're the risk taker. This, this, is what I'm, this is what I mean by that. Every like rom-com you've ever watched, right? Like there's the scene where the guy or the girl wants to tell their lover that they love them, but they're nervous about it. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like they're nervous about it. And why they're nervous is because the other person might not say it back, right? Like that's a, that's a big reason to be nervous. So my wife and I, when we started dating, we'd only been dating for three weeks. Y'all are gonna think I'm crazy. We've been dating for three weeks. And uh, she was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was living in Tennessee. And I drove three and a half hours to take her on a date one night. And after the date, I went to drop her off at her parents' house. And something came over me where I just was like, I just need to tell her I'm gonna marry her. I was, I, it just like came over me. I, I, before I could even like think about what I was about to say, I, I literally just looked at her. I'm, I'm, I'm just standing right next to her, just casually, like we just ate some shrimp, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Was, I just was like, hey, I'm gonna marry you one day. And immediately I was like, I should not have done that. I said, hey, I'm gonna marry you one day. And this is what she said. She goes, thank you. And she backed up like this. Now, I was prophetic. I just didn't know it. But I learned in that moment that whoever goes first, you take on all the risk. The risk of rejection, the risk of of your love not being reciprocated, the, the risk of things being a little awkward, of there, of there being this tension. And when we look at the story of Eutychus, he dies. There's not a single thing he could do to enter into life. And Paul's response is to stop the preaching, to stop the teaching, to stop what he's doing, to run down the stairs and throw himself over the boy. It's a beautiful representation of exactly what Jesus does for you and for me. Stops everything. Stop the show. Stop the production. Stop the, the, the service. Stop the schedule. Stop the job. Stop the family stuff. Stop all of it. His first priority to come to you. A dead person can't do anything to come to Jesus. Don't make any mistake about it. There is nothing that you could do to have that relationship. That's, that's what's so frustrating about it, honestly. That's the frustrating part, because it's like, I'll just, I'll just do it. Like, like, I'll just run to Jesus. No, 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 no. You have to let Jesus run to you. You have to accept his grace. You have to accept his love. And he comes, comes running down the stairs, throws himself over, over Eutychus and, and raises himself to life. Jesus went first. This is powerful that God would go first knowing that you might not ever love him back. That Jesus would die for you knowing that, that you might keep going back to the same seat you fell from. That he would give his life knowing that, that you might come into a church service, raise your hands and worship him, and then walk back out with those same hands sin just a couple hours later. Like, have you, have you thought about that? I, I, I've always, like, had a much easier time realizing that God had the grace to save me than, than understanding that God had the grace to sustain me. 
Like, like when I first gave my life to the Lord, and this is, this is like, this is why I think so many people, when they give their life to Christ, they're the most passionate people in the church. Have you noticed that? Like, like when, when someone goes far from God to accepting God, they're like on the front row, both hands worshiping, like the altar call might be for women that day and they're a man and they're right there. They're like in the altar. They're like, this was for me. I know you said it was just for the ladies, but this is for me. Because, because they just had a taste of God's grace. They just tasted it. It's fresh on their mind. It's fresh in their soul. It's fresh on their heart. But then something happens. And this isn't like a, a one-size-fits-all rule. But I've seen it happen where people start following Jesus. And they've been following him for five or ten years. And all of a sudden, the passion starts to wane. All of a sudden, the desperation starts to wane. All of a sudden, the, the, the energy, the vibes go away. And they're like, I just don't feel for, I just haven't felt anything from the Lord in a long time. And it's because they believed that God had the grace to save them, but they didn't realize that God also has the grace to sustain them. And so they keep going and sitting back in the same place and they show up on a Sunday and they're like, God doesn't have any more grace for me. He's used it all up. You just need another taste of God's grace. You know what the secret to revival is? It's realizing that God went first, but it's realizing that God goes again. I want to read you this scripture, Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, really quick, and I'm closing. If you aren't familiar with the book of Hosea, it's in the Old Testament. And in, in the Old Testament, God would speak through a prophet. He would appoint a prophet. It was a big deal. If you were appointed prophet, that was like, you were just, you were kind of the man for, for the Israelites. God would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak to the people. In order to be selected as prophet to the Israelites, you had to live a holy life. You had to be set apart. You had to be somebody who was, who was really choosing to sit places that the Lord wanted them to sit, right? And so Hosea, he gets appointed prophet of Israel. And his first assignment, God comes to Hosea and he says, hey, congrats. He didn't actually say this. This is the Noah Heron translation. Congrats. You're the prophet. I want you to marry a prostitute. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine, like, living a holy, set-apart life? And then all of a sudden, it's like, boom. Like, now I get to be the prophet of Israel. And then God is like, yep, go marry a prostitute. This is her. Her name's Gomer. And Hosea obeys. And he goes and, and marries this, this promiscuous woman. And by all accounts, we don't know all of the details of their marriage, but we know that they were married. We know that they had kids that were together for some time. Most biblical scholars believe that they were together somewhere between 10 and 20 years. And then by the time we get to Hosea chapter 3, Gomer, his wife, has gone back and begins selling herself as a sex slave again. She chooses to go back to the same seat that she had fell from. Before. This is what Hosea chapter 3 says. The Lord said to me, this is speaking to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. I just want to read that one more time. The Lord said to me, go show love to your wife again. If there is a verse in the Bible that has wrecked me more than that verse, I, I can't tell you it. Go show love 
to your wife again. That is just like the love of the Lord. Go find her, Hosea. Go show love to her again. Can we just talk about the go again of God one time? Go again. Can you imagine how messy the search was for Hosea? Can you imagine how embarrassing that search was for Hosea? He gave his reputation, like, like his reputation was as good as it could get. And he sacrificed it to obey God once. And it seemed to be working out. But then she willingly chose to go back to what got her into trouble in the first place. And God says, go again, go again, go again. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 21 years old. At the time I was addicted to pornography. I was a borderline alcoholic. I was with a girl who was not my wife that I was treating as if she was my wife. I was far from the Lord. And through a YouTube video, shout out to YouTube. I gave my life to Christ at 21 years old. And I remember thinking, this is amazing because now I'm not gonna struggle with these things that I know were not good for me, even though I didn't really care that they were sin. You know what happened? For like two days, I didn't sin. For like two days, I was like, I am the Lord's chosen. And then I went back to the same well, went back to the same seat in the window. And, I, and every time I would mess up, at that point, I knew it was wrong. I, I knew the consequence of sin. I, I knew that that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And I would have this conversation with God. I'd be like, God, I'm done. I'm not gonna do it anymore. And for like two days, I wouldn't sin. And then I'd come back to God, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, please forgive me again. Please forgive me again. And it was this exhausting cycle of feeling like, man, I thought that this was just going to go away. And I reached this point about six months into following Jesus where I said this prayer to God. I was like, God, either I'm not doing this right or you're not real. You're supposed to not just save me. You're, you're supposed to change me. I knew he had grace to save me. I didn't realize he had grace to sustain me. And I found this passage. And I thought, man, Gomer's me. I went back. I went back, same sin, same struggle, same death, same issues, same stuff that no one else knows about except for me and God. You wanna know what God's response to me was and God's response to you is this morning? Jesus, go show love to them again. You see, the good news of the gospel is that God goes first for you. But what I think is even better news of the gospel is that God goes again and again and again and again. And if you're struggling with sin this morning and you're like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, can I suggest to you that somewhere along the way you thought that the grace that is in your life stopped having the power to sustain you and you said at some point I've got to take this on my own. Can I tell you the only difference between a sinner and a saint is that a saint knows that when they fall down they don't have to stay there. 
Proverbs 24, 16 says, the righteous may fall seven times, but they get back up. Today is the day not to stay down in shame, but to stand up on your feet and say, I know that I sinned, but I'm no longer a sinner. I know that I failed, but I'm no longer a failure. I know that I'm struggling, but the grace of God is still working inside me, and God is going again and again and again. Will you stand with me? I really believe this with all my heart. I, I really believe the way we see revival in our lives is we do our best not to sit places that we shouldn't sit. We pursue holiness. We pursue it. But if we sit somewhere that we shouldn't, and we fall, we don't stay down. We get good at accepting the grace of Jesus Christ. We get good at receiving the go again of God. The good news is not just that Jesus is king. The good news is that we serve a king like Jesus. That's the good news. Will you close your eyes? If you're here this morning, I'd like to do something that's maybe a little, little different, I don't know. But if you're here this morning and you're struggling with sin of some kind, and you would, uh, you'd like to return today, we already talked about it, but there's grace for you. God went again for you. Today's the day to repent. Today's the day to come back home. Today's the day to experience revival. If that's you, will you just slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying with? I got some sin in my life I need to repent of. Thank you so much. That is amazing. Wow, it's amazing. I'd love to just pray a prayer of repentance with you, Lord. Thank you for every hand that's going up right now, God. We, we ask that you would forgive us this morning, that you would forgive us of our sin, you'd forgive us uh, of our failures, God, when we went against you, Lord. We know that you went first for us, that, that you risked it all for us, and God, yet we still chose to sin. So this morning, we ask for your forgiveness, knowing that you are faithful to forgive, knowing that even as we ask, we're already forgiven, God. We ask us for, that you would forgive us of the sins we remember and the ones that we don't, the ones we're aware of and the ones that we're not. God, cleanse us this morning. God, we wanna, we wanna die this morning to our old self so that we can live being the person that you've called us to be. We can live as a new creation. We can live as holy and set apart. We can live as your children this morning, God. So we accept your grace. We say thank you. We worship you. We honor you. We give you the glory knowing that we don't deserve it. We can never earn it. We can never hope to accomplish it on our own. God, we love you and we praise you for your grace. Come on, if you're thankful for the grace of God this morning, can we just praise the Lord as we go back into worship? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.